United Planners, an RIA and broker-dealer structured as a limited partnership, providing partners and associates an unfettered program to conduct fee-based and commission business for over 30 years. Advisors are offered the flexibility of being independent with a broad choice of custodians under the firm RIA or their own independent RIA. Welcome to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. I'm Diana Britton, Managing Editor of wealthmanagement.com, and in this podcast, we explore some of the struggles and personal development issues facing advisors and financial services professionals, and how to get to a place of healing for mind, body, and spirit. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Advisor Podcast, and thanks for joining us today. As you may know, this is the podcast focused on financial advisor health and well-being, and today's guest is, is going to help us better understand what financial services companies are doing to manage employee burnout. Um, her name is Gabriella Mauck. She's the vice president of the Productivity Lab at ActiveTrack a cloud-based workforce analytics software provider. Gabriella, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I just want to start out, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about ActiveTrack and, and what the company does? Because I think a lot of our listeners um, have never heard of you guys. Absolutely. So ActiveTrack is a workforce analytics software, sort of as you set the foundation for us there. What we do is we aim to collect employee activity data so that we can surface really valuable insights as it pertains to both productivity and well-being. So when we think about the way that we collect our data, we collect that data and furnish uh, a level of insight so that our customers have a good understanding not only of whether or not they're achieving their performance goal, but how they're going about achieving it. We're a company based in Austin, Texas, uh, and so we are on the pursuit of helping our customers work wiser. Yeah, and I think this is going to be really great for our listeners because, um, you know, while a lot of them may work for large financial services institutions, many of them are are just sort of small business owners and and running their own um, employees, um, and so I think that this could help them you know, just better manage uh, the burnout of, the, of their own employees and, and have a um, happier and healthier workplace. Um, so Gabrielle is here today because ActiveTrack recently did an analysis on the productivity of employees at financial services companies. The company analyzed benchmark data drawn from, um, gosh, 11 million hours across 11,000 anonymized financial services employees over the past year. A lot of data there. And the analysis found that on average, financial services employees spend seven hours a day on productive work. Um, The data showed that they spent an average of seven hours um, on productive digital activity, 4.6 hours of that being focused on deep work. Um, Some other findings, 2.3 hours spent collaborating and multitasking. Um, And as far as workload, 34% of their time, I guess, is overutilized, 6% underutilized. 
And um, on average, these employees take four breaks per day um, with uh, at about 27.2 minutes per, per break. It felt like that was pretty good. It might be more, more than I do. Um, the analysis also found that financial services firms were you know, just better at managing risk, uh, burnout risk than, than other industries. Um, for instance, compared to their cross-industry sample, 19% more employees have a healthy workload and 23% fewer employees are overutilized. So Gabriela, what was your first reaction? Um, you know, were you surprised to find that financial services, um, you know, sort of came out on top in terms of uh, managing burnout? It's a, it's a great question. And I think my first reaction is probably similar to a lot of other people's when it comes to the financial services industry, which we know historically is known for sort of that, that hour grind, right. Or that hourly grind. Yeah. Uh, And so, so my initial reaction was, wow, this, this is pretty interesting. You know, are, are we seeing that employees are reporting that they're experiencing less burnout or, you know, does the sentiment match what we're seeing in the data? Um, and so the truth is, is, you know, amidst this great resignation, which is not sparing the financial services industry, we know that employees are still speaking to the plagues of fatigue and stress and burnout. Uh, but we also can't ignore these numbers, right? Seven hours of productive time a day doesn't necessarily point to what one would tie out to, to long, excessive hours. And so my reaction to it was, hey, Long hours are a single indicator of what can be pointing to a bigger story around burnout. And so what it meant for me was that this is an industry that maybe has, has gotten its hands around the, the long hour component of the job and of the roles and the responsibilities, but maybe they have done so in exchange for what could still be leading to fatigue and stress. So maybe you're still having a high amount of distractions in the workplace, not enough focus time, you know, stressful conditions, uh, delayed, you know, you know, less progressive management practices. These are all things that could be contributing towards that sentiment that we're still hearing. But my reaction was maybe we need to shift the conversation away from long hours and towards some of these other areas. Yeah, and I think I think that's great, and we're we're going to dig into some of those areas in a bit. But um, you know, uh, like I outlined, you know, big a big finding was that thirty four percent of their time is overutilized. Can you define that for us? What is overutilized versus underutilized? Sure, let's break that one down a little bit. So when we think about utilization here at Active Track, what we do is we guide our customers to have a target number of hours that they would expect uh, a certain set of roles and roles to be performing. Right, and so our customers go in there and set that goal for perhaps what is eight hours. And then what the solution does is it allows you to classify those underutilized and overutilized by setting a threshold, which is a set a percentage outside of that goal. So if the goal is eight hours, anything 30% or more above those eight hours is typically classified as overutilized and anything 30% or below uh, the, that eight hours is then underutilized. And so what that does is it sets a, a, a nice boundary for work to ebb and flow around those eight hours. 
But anything outside of that 30% under and over then allows them to classify those employees and flag them for where there could be the possibility for a healthy intervention around, you know, working too many hours, perhaps feeling some level of disengagement and working too few hours. Is Mm -hmm. that helpful? Yeah, very helpful. Um, So can we talk a little bit about those productive hours that these, um, these professionals are working each day? Was that surprising to you? I mean, um, you know, you do sort of hear, you know, and I've talked about it on this podcast that there is sort of in this industry, a die at the desk, you know, sort of mentality and approach to, to working. And, and it's sort of a badge of honor, um, you know, to be working long hours and it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly don't come from a a financial services industry background, but I come from a consulting Mm -hmm. one. So maybe I wasn't dying at the desk, but I was, you know, my sky miles were my badge of honor. Right. And so Mm -hmm. what I would say is in, in, in coming from a a bit of a similar background there, you know, the, there are productive hours in someone's day, but then there are a lot of other hours that are still tied to our work and tied to things that are draining us? Is that the amount of time that we're spending on an airplane? Is that the amount of time we're waiting to get, you know, a a pitch deck back, right? The amount of time we sit and we wait to get those revisions, the time that we spend, you know, waiting to hear back from a client before we can take the next step. That's still oftentimes time that we're attributing to being at work. Even if we had to, even if we spent that time going out to grab dinner with a client, perhaps that's not time behind our computer, but it's time that can be draining us. And so I do think it's important to highlight here that these hours are, are it's really helpful to understand the amount of hours that people are spending, but it's equally helpful to understand the rest of the context around that, because those are things that are also contributing to that level of, of fatigue. Yeah. And I, I wonder if you could just dig a little bit deeper into that and, you know, what are some of the findings from the report or um, indicators here that, um, you know, that are indicators of, of stress and burnout and, and, you know, what should the industry, I guess, be taking away from this study? Sure. So, so the way that we think about productive time, and, and you mentioned this a bit at the onset, is we break it into three categories, focus time, collaboration time and multitasking time. And so let's let's talk a little bit about those because I think in each of these, as it pertains to the financial services industry, we have nuggets that can guide us into understanding perhaps some other drivers of the burnout here. So if we start with focus time, this is the time where we're better understanding the degree to which individuals are able to really heads down, get into their work, right? So they're not doing a whole lot of context switching. They're not spending their time popping into a messaging application, grabbing an email, hopping on a meeting. They're really heads down in something. That time is what we're finding. The average session that someone is able to be focused within the financial services industry data is 13 minutes. Right. So on average, I can only go 13 minutes before I'm pulled out of that Excel sheet, pulled out of PowerPoint, pulled out of whatever it is that I'm working in, and I'm distracted. And now we all know, depending on the study that you look at, it can take anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour to get back into 
a quality focused mindset on what we were doing. That to me is a really interesting finding within the data when we step away from just looking at that seven hours a day of productive time. If we tease out that focus time, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity time there. The second opportunity that I see in the data beyond just the productive hours a day is the amount of time that's being spent both collaborating and multitasking. So really the opposite end of the spectrum of focus, if you will. And so that's the amount of time where we're getting insight into how often we're hopping into Teams or Zoom or go to webinar to better understand, you know, the, the time that we're spending watching or participating in meetings, how often in terms of multitasking we're spent, as I mentioned before, popping into a messaging application and then being pulled into an email and then being pulled back into my PowerPoint. It's not, we should not discredit again, how those types of behaviors, which are, don't get me wrong, absolutely essential in the workplace. We, we all multitask, we all need to collaborate, but the volume of those behaviors, in this case, we're looking at over two hours a day in which we are, we are either collaborating or multitasking can lead to feeling like we're misaligned to our work, unable to focus, unable to feel productive in what we're doing and getting things done. So those are some other nuggets that I think are valuable when we sort of break apart what the composition of that seven hours is. Yeah, that's great. I mean, distraction is, um, you know, can be so powerful. I mean, I know personally, you know, like Slack and Twitter, it's so hard to, you get sucked in and you know, I know you were telling me that you know this in an industry that's that's ridden by by deadlines and tight turnarounds, that distraction piece is um, you know really relevant to fatigue. What other dials should companies move to to improve their employees' well being? You know, besides the hour aspect, um, you know that does seem to be you know focus for a lot of people, but but there are other things that companies can do to improve well being, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we touched upon a few of them, but let's expand the list a little bit. I mean, the most obvious one in terms of just sheer volume of headlines right now is the the number of meetings that we're having on a daily basis. And so we we mm-hmm. say that and we read the headline and we say, oh, maybe we should have less meetings. Let's think a little bit about how we can take that a step further and have less meetings, right? Are we taking on the practice of as leaders encouraging our managers to take inventory of the meetings they have on their calendar, go through the exercise of not only can the email be summarized or can the meeting be summarized in an email, but also is everybody on this meeting really essential to this meeting? Are some of the people in this meeting people that can be receiving an FYI after the meeting Have I given everyone in this meeting I'm about to have the information they need so that in the meeting we'll be able to get to a decision? I mean, these are the things that we have done a a wonderful job at elevating the fatigue of the meeting, but probably not as good of a job at talking about the operational tactical steps we need to take to really start removing them from our calendar. And while that meeting might not come off of my calendar as a leader and as a manager, can I take the meeting off of someone else's? You know, and I I think that that's a big piece that we can be thinking about across all industries, also specific to this industry, 
that is plagued with so many, I think that's a really important step. So getting our leaders to start going from aware of meeting fatigue to doing something about meeting fatigue. Similarly, I feel the same way about distractions. So within our solution, we're able to see not only how many times employees are distracted throughout the day, but we're also able to see the source of them. So I can tell you here within our own organization, we realized nine to 12 months ago that our messaging application was a gigantic source of distractions for our employees. So what we did is we started coming up with new norms within our work environment where employees were encouraged to set aside public time on their calendar that said no fo- or no distractions or no meeting times or no messaging times. And that became, or to set their messaging away status with a a big red X that said, was the sign for don't distract me, Mm -hmm. right? And so again, moving from an awareness that distractions are plaguing the workplace to a point in which you've collected the data, you see the number of distractions, you set a goal for minimizing them, you go right after the sources of those distractions and start creating new norms and expectations around them is really the best way that we're going to start turning the dial to addressing some of these other sources of fatigue beyond just the amount of time people are working into the evening. The third one, which I would say is the most important and arguably the lowest cost is to just have more quality conversations. So Mm -hmm. again, we're aware of the fact that we need to be in better touch with our employees the likelihood that we all probably already have a one-on-one meeting set up with our direct reports is very high. Now, the content of that one-on-one meeting is where I really want to tap into the quality of, of what's being covered. Are you having conversations such as, how are you feeling? You know, I'm noticing you're working into the into the evenings on a consistent basis. I'm noticing you're working, you know, one day of weekend work, maybe that's typical for your organization. Two days a weekend work, five weeks in a row, then we're then we're starting to tap into a, a bigger problem, right? And so making sure that these empathetic conversations are using the data to inform what needs to be surfaced and addressed in a way that you can say, I'm concerned, is probably the biggest piece here that can start helping this industry wrap its arms around what seems to be a little bit more invisible than we thought. Mm, Yeah, those are all just great points. And I mean, I was um, going back to your first point about um, meetings, you know, our, uh, our, our listeners and our readers, a lot of them are meeting with clients all day, right? That's a big part of their job. But like you said, you know, not all their staff needs to be in on all those client meetings and, and, you know, by, you know, sort of taking them off of some of those meetings, this, that might free up some of their staff to, to focus on other tasks and other things that, that need to get done. You know, are some of your financial services clients using this data and, and sort of taking it back and applying it? I know you've obviously talked about a few things, but anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think that this data is really helpful for understanding where your organization is today. But what I think is oftentimes uh, underplayed or overlooked 
is what this data does once you start taking action in your workplace. So if you decided to introduce a focus Friday, or maybe that's the day where internal meetings are limited uh, and external meetings you know, remain the same because clients are clients, right? Mm-hmm. And, or maybe you decide that on Wednesday mornings, it's no meeting time until 11 a.m. Whatever the norm is, or the expectation is that you set in your workplace can really be very on the spectrum from rhetoric to something living and breathing and totally operational in your workplace. And so what this data does is it allows you to say, okay, here's where we started. I'm going to introduce this change into the workplace and I'm going to share the data with my organization and say, hey, I'm introducing this because I, I hear you, I see you, and I know that, that I know that we need a solution. So here's our baseline data, and here's the intervention that we're going to introduce to help alleviate some of this stress and fatigue. I want to see this number change to X, right? Mm-hmm. I want to see meeting time go down by 10%. I want to see this distraction number go from 400 a day to 300 a day. And that's where this data on an ongoing basis is so helpful to a leader, a manager, and an employee. Because now the employee can say, hey, how many distractions do I have a day? And where are they coming from? And the person next to them can ask the same question and get to a different answer, but still all be a part of this effort to make that workplace more productive. And so we see companies, particularly in the financial services industry, leading the way in this, in being progressive and saying, hey, we're not going to collect this data and keep it among our leadership team. We're going to collect this data and we're going to federate it, right? We're going to make sure this data can be in the hands of our managers so that they can coach their employees on their evening long hours and their weekend long hours and their distraction sources and their meeting times. And then finally, and most importantly, we're going to put this in the hands of our employees so that they get their personal insights on a weekly basis. They're doing a level of self-reflection and they're not only modifying their own behavior, but they're also feeling empowered to have that conversation with their manager. And so that's the piece where I see companies in this industry leading the way and saying, you know, we're doing a disservice to our our environment, to our culture, to our company by ignoring the fact that data like this exists. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to use the power of this data to inform and hold ourselves accountable to improving the environment. Mm, That's a great point. You know, I mean, I know that you and I were talking about Um, you know, the need to reward the work and the outcomes of that work, you know, rather than the hours that employees are putting in, which is, I think, uh, a lot of times a big problem in this industry. Um, You know, maybe not with the the clients that you surveyed here, but like I said, it's, uh, you know, people just really reward those long hours. But how can companies go about rewarding the work instead Great question. So uh, I, when we had this conversation, I think what I was doing is I was really highlighting 
what is super top of mind for so many leaders right now. I certainly know it is in our organization and, and across our customer base, which is how can we create a more productive business by managing to outcomes, right? So mm-hmm. looking at OKRs, looking at KPIs. And so what I want to highlight is that managing to outcomes doesn't just mean you know, looking at your revenue numbers or looking at your inventory numbers or looking at your production numbers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter just what you achieved. It matters how you achieve it. And so that's where I want to shift the conversation because I think that we're getting our arms around the outcomes, but we're doing so in a way in which sometimes we forget that it's still okay to think about how we achieved it and reward the ap- appropriate method to achieving it, right? And so how can we reward the manager who achieved their outcomes while also making sure that his or her employees were all at a healthy utilization level? Because you can achieve those outcomes with a 10-person team. Mm -hmm. You can achieve those outcomes with three people working every single evening, every single weekend, completely burning themselves after a three-week sprint, And with seven other individuals, sort of a combination of being underutilized and being misaligned to the work, working on the wrong initiatives at no fault to them, right? Not because they're lazy or they don't care or they don't want to be committed to your business, but because they haven't been adequately managed. And and so that's one way to achieve that outcome with a composition of a team like the one I just described. But then the other way is to have a really optimized team of 10 working aligned on the right objectives, achieving the outcome, checking out at five or six or 7 p.m. before dinner, whatever the expectation is at your company, which I recognize varies at every company, but you're doing it in a balanced way. And so rewarding managers that achieve their outcomes while maintaining a healthy workforce. And when I say rewarding, I also mean not just the financial incentives, but I mean the, the non-financial incentives, the recognition of, of, a, of an approach at an all-hands meeting or in a newsletter or a, a picking up the phone call of your as a CEO and saying, hey, I am not only impressed with what you achieved and the numbers that you hit, I am also and more so impressed by the way in which you leveraged the resources on your team, you respected their time, you respected their boundaries, and you did it in a way in which was balanced. And so I think the reward and the recognition of minimizing the meeting time, getting your arms around the distraction, making sure your employees aren't working into the evenings, those are all ways in which a, hey, I, I see you, and I see you in a way in which I'm congratulating, respecting, and valuing you goes such a long way in, in perpetuating a healthier culture that is not only productive, but is sustainably productive. Because I assure you, in the first example, where those three people were carrying the workload of the team, working into the evenings and working into the weekends, those are the people that the following month aren't necessarily going to be able to deliver on those same outcomes. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And what we'll see, I, I'd, I'd be remiss not to call it out, we're seeing more and more people go through the interview process, looking at new companies saying, not just what is your performance, but how, what are your mechanisms for going about 
the way in which you reach your numbers. People care about it. And it's why they're choosing to go across the street more often than not. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I know that uh, you and I talked uh, before about, you know, this is sort of just one set of data that companies should look uh, should look at and, uh, and um, you know, they should really overlay it with other sets of data. What other sets of data should companies be looking at to get at why employees might be burnt out? Great question. I'm, I mean, this is the data that we look at here at ActiveTrack is a, is a slice of the bigger picture, right? And the reason we, we find this data to be so valuable and, and so unique is that you get an ongoing level of feedback. You get an ongoing level of insight every single day so that you know, by Monday, you're saying that your team is balanced. And by Friday, as a manager, you already have insights into the, the, the creep towards overutilization, the creep towards underutilization, or the spike in distractions. Now, that ongoing feedback is critical. But there are some other pieces of data that can help supplement that, that insight. For a lot of organizations, they already have it. It's talent data. So if you take the talent data and you align it with the ongoing feedback, you can see things such as, man, my high potentials are really overutilized. I've got to do something quickly because I'm in a bad spot if I lose them. or I'm a bad spot if I keep them and they become disengaged and they start getting frustrated. So overlaying this type of data so that you can see your high potentials, you can see your DEI data, and you can see your new hires, you can see your employees that have just switched under a new manager or switched into a new role, how they're reacting to their daily activities. Are they becoming more, enga- more engaged? Are beca- they becoming less engaged? Are they becoming unbalanced? Are they moving into a state of balance? When you combine the talent data, you get those level of insights. Additionally, and and I think it's kind of up for grabs right now, who owns this data within your organization, but having insights like who's working from home, who's coming into the office, what impact is that having on their productivity? Is it making them less distracted at home, but working fewer hours? Is it making them more distracted in the workplace, but as a result, working longer hours? Do we want them to be working longer hours? Are we okay with those distractions because not all distractions are unhealthy. So combining this data with understanding who's in the office and who's at home and who's working in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays and at home on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, super valuable. Performance data is another way to combine this data. So if you take this data and you said, you know, here are my outcomes, sort of what we just talked about, Diana, right? So here are my outcomes, but what are the mechanisms that are happening that I can watch engage to make sure that we're achieving them appropriately. You can combine this data into a single dashboard and say, did I achieve it? And how did I achieve it? Operations data. Similarly, am I responding to the customers? Am I taking, uh, am I taking action on the, on the open items and the tickets? And am I doing so in a way that's efficient and productive, um, you know, across that value chain? So those are some examples and, and I could go on, but I think that that, I mean, talent data, performance data, operations data, all could benefit from having continuous feedback on a daily basis so that you can understand not what's happening, not only what's happening, but how it's happening. 
Yeah, that that's really a great point and just really great um, insights in general, Gabrielle. I mean, I was just going back to what you're talking about earlier with, you know, that this this stuff comes up in the interview process, you know, and I think for a lot of financial advisory firms right now, there's a lot of talk about the challenge of finding talent, um, you know, especially with this great resignation thing going on around the country, it's happening to this industry as well. And, you know, advisors really need to think about this stuff uh, and how they incorporate it even into the early interview process, you know, in terms of attracting talent and att- attracting folks to their to their workplace. Well, I'm afraid we're just about out of time, but I'd like to thank my guest, Gabriella Mauck, for being on the podcast and helping us understand burnout in the financial services industry. Gabriella, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. It's been great. It has been great. Thanks so much, Diana. For more information, you can go to ActiveTrack's State of the Workplace report. But if you'd like to reach out to Gabriella personally, if you have any questions for her, you can email her at gmauk at activetrack.com. That's A-C-T-I-V-T-R-A-K.com. If you yourself have a struggle or wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at diana.britton at informa.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your particular situation. United Planners, an RIA and broker-dealer structured as a limited partnership, providing partners and associates an unfettered program to conduct fee-based and commission business for over 30 years. Advisors are offered the flexibility of being independent with a broad choice of custodians under the firm RIA or their own independent RIA.